0: All right, so we're in Genesis chapter 44. I was just thinking, we've been in this book for a long time. When we started Genesis, uh, it was sunshine and roses. You know, no COVID, no masks. You know, it was 2020. It was the new year. This was going to be our year. You know, all these uh, great, wonderful things were going to happen. We were all going to meet our resolutions. Get more people saved than ever. We were all going to lose weight. Uh, all those things that you plan every year, and then quarantine you know and now look at where we're at this year but you know what it's all right lord's still good and we are but we're at genesis chapter 44 and the previous chapter remember it ended with joseph eating with his brothers and him giving benjamin five times the mess that he gave his brothers and so chapters 44 45 46 is all just kind of one story they kind of end in weird spots but uh, i do believe that when joseph gave that extra food To his brother i think this was it could have been a test but i think it was more than likely he just did that because he was so excited that benjamin was there and one of the reasons i think that is because in the next chapter in verse 22 it says to all of them gave he each man changes of raiment but to benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment so uh this is after he reveals himself to his brothers and you know then he just gives benjamin extra because he just he was like his dad. He had favorites, you know, and he was really excited about Benjamin. But what we're going to do in this message, we're going to go through chapter 44, but then we're going to pay special attention to Judah because Judah is a very important uh, character in the Bible. Of course, we know the tribe of Judah is very important because that's the tribe that the Messiah came from. But we, you don't hear a whole lot of talk about Judah the man. There's not a whole lot of talk about him, but I think there's some interesting things that we can learn about Judah, uh, as we look at this chapter and some other uh, instances where he's mentioned. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. And it says, And he came, he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in the sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away they and their asses and when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off joseph said unto his steward up follow after the men and when thou dost overtake them saying to them wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good so this clearly is a test to see how they would react there's no doubt about this i believe he's setting things up so benjamin will get in the most trouble and i think he wanted to see what his brothers were going to do because if they hate benjamin like they hated him then they would probably just be like Oh well, you know and i i think I think this was a test. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Joseph did all these things, but I think it's uh it's pretty easy to guess and so in verse five it says um, and is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth ye have done evil in so doing, so what does it mean to Uh, divine with a cup. Okay, well, that is a word. We all probably know the word divination. Okay, divination. And that's something the Egyptians obviously would have been involved in. But let me just say this, though. That doesn't mean that Joseph used divination. Okay, because understand, too, when Joseph is being, you know, he's playing this role here. He's trying to deceive his brothers. They think he's an Egyptian. They think he's one of them. And so uh, when he's playing this test, he uses this silver cup. The Bible doesn't tell us what it looks like. It just tells us it was a silver cup. It was probably fancy. It was probably something, you know, magical looking. And he, you know, he's probably trying to make him think that all this stuff's happening. He knows what's going on because he's able to get, you know, extra information from the spirit world with his divination cup. But you and I know he didn't get the information about these guys from any cup or any divination. He was their brother. Okay? So he's, he's playing a trick on them. And it's important that we understand that because we don't want to go getting weird doctrines, you know, and trust making up weird stuff because of this and acting like it's okay to use divination. It's just there's bad divination and there's good divination. No, it's all bad. Okay? And look at what it says. You don't have to turn there, but you can't. Can Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of of those nations. There should not be found among you anyone that maketh a son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Now, it's very important I point this out, okay? In in the Bible, it mentions a lot of bad things that were out there that were in the world. Like divination, like, you know, necromancy, like wizards, okay? Now, in case you want to interpret the Bible like a Ruckmanite, let me just explain something to you. Just because the Bible mentions wizards, it does not mean that people, you know, that the wizard that we see in our Bible is like the wizards on television. Okay, I don't believe there were ever people that had Gandalf's powers or Merlin's powers and things like that. But what 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 do the Ruckmanites want to do? They find a word like that in the Bible, and then now all of a sudden they can start tying all the sci-fi stuff in with the Bible. And you know, I mean, you know, there's something to this. You know, the Bible does mention witches, and you know, there was a time when you know there were witches that could ride brooms around and you know things like that. You know, no, listen. It's just like the Giants thing. Okay, Yes, there's Giants mentioned in the Bible, but just because the Giants and Jack and the Beanstalk were 50 feet tall doesn't mean that's what the Giants, how big they were in the Bible. So you all understand that? So if you see a necromancer mentioned in the Bible, and then you watch a movie about necromancer, and they make it about whatever, okay, that doesn't mean it's possible to do all that stuff. If you had the right enchantments, if you had a silver cup, like Joseph's, that you'd be able to do all these things. Now, I don't doubt that there's some powers that are out there that come from these things, but did you know the Bible gives us very little detail on that stuff? And I think that's good because if it didn't, you know what? People would go try to do all that stuff. So just, but understand every culture, every time has had their own weird stuff that they've gotten into, and some of it's straight from the devil and it might actually have things in common uh you know throughout time but some of it might not be related at all it's just superstition it's and but either way it's bad because all of it leads away from god so i say i, I it's very important you understand that because i see people do this with the scriptures especially in the Rockmanite world where i mean because yes the bible says necromancer but now define rec- necromancer from the bible you know, well, you know, if you look up the Hebrew and all that, you know, that might give you a little bit of insight, but don't don't think that just because what the legends are saying necromancers can do today, that that means they had the ability to do that in the Bible. Okay, so just a very important thing that you need to understand. But at the end of the day, what these things were that God's telling the children of Israel not to do? These are just superstitions. These are wicked things that the heathen did. And it's probably varied in what it's looked like throughout time. And so we don't—he, I don't believe that uh, this passage is exclusively against whatever specific customs they had in that day. I think today it probably looks a little bit different. And you know what? We take the principle from this and we reject any of that heathen stuff today. Even if they can prove it's new and it's never been done before. So, Acts 16, 16 also mentions, it says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So, um, you know, there have been people who use divination to do soothsay, to tell the future. Now, notice, she had a devil in her. It's not so much... That these people have these magical artifacts that gives them power. No, it's just that people who use that kind of thing typically get possessed with the devil. And that's where they get these abilities and things from. But I don't believe for a second that Joseph ever used any of these things. I, he's just, he's kind of playing a trick. He's testing these guys. And so we don't get a lot of details from the Bible. That's a good thing. We don't want to have any part and any type of divination. Don't go visit the fortune teller, you know, in town and these tarot card readers, all that stuff. Even if it's not exactly what's mentioned in the Bible, it's the same type of thing. And it all is meant to just get you away from God and get you caught up in the things of the devil. And it's, it's all bad stuff. Stay away from it. Crystal balls, whatever people are using. So verse six, and he overtook them and spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouths, we brought back again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let them die, and we will be my Lord's bondmen. Now, they should have been quieter because after the money all showing up last time, you know, you'd think when they were going to leave this time, they'd been like, you know what, let's check our bags this time. You know, but... At the same time, you know, you, I guess you wouldn't. they weren't expecting it the first time. They definitely weren't expecting it to happen twice. So, and he said, now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest, and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they rent their clothes, and laid at every man his ass, and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that ye have done? Want ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? So it's like he's trying to tell them, you know, hey, that magical cup you stole, I've obviously got some abilities. I'm able to see what you've done. So he's 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 messing with them here. He's trying to get in their head, but I want you to notice something here though, in verse 14, how when he brings them to his house, it, it calls them Judah and his brethren. Okay, it calls them Judah and his brethren. Now, now keep that in mind, that's an important detail. So in verse 16, Judah, whenever they're all brought before him, Judah is the one speaking, and Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, with whom the cup is found. <clears throat> and he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose the cup is found, he shall be my servant, and as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Then Judah came near him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou said unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou said unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down, for we may not see the man's face except our younger brother be with us. And remember, in that story, in the the previous chapters, when uh, Jacob told them to go back to the land, it was Judah that was speaking on behalf of everybody. It was Judah that brought up what happened in Egypt. And it was Judah that said, I will be surety for Benjamin. I'm the one guaranteeing him. So remember all that. And it, said, and it says in verse 27, And the, thy servant, my father, sent us, ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy... Servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die, and thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring it not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide. Instead of the lad, a bondman to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father? So the chapter ends right here. But uh, Judah has basically just explained to Joseph that listen, you know, he's basically saying, "Take me instead." He said, "You know, last time we came, we had no idea you were going to ask us about a father or a brother, but you asked us, we told you the truth." I went back home. Our father didn't want us to bring him. I said, we have to bring him. And I guaranteed him. I told him, I'll be surety for him. You know, you could slay me if I don't bring him back. And so he's like, you know, here, this happens. You know, and they were convinced the Lord was doing this to them. Again, they're guilty. They feel guilty because of what they've done to Joseph. So they're thinking, you know, we're getting our punishment. We're getting what we deserve because of the bad things that we've done. And at this point, Judah He's not so much interested in preserving his own life. He cares about his father. He cares about his younger brother. I mean, clearly, there's been a change in Judah's life since 20 years ago when it was his idea to sell Joseph. There's there's, there's been a big change in him, and he's telling Joseph, he's just pleading to this man that he doesn't think he knows that if I go back home and I don't have my brother, my father's going to die. So he's basically saying, "Take me instead," which I think is good. And so this story that we see here, we're seeing a very different Judah than what we've seen in previous chapters. And so, what I want—I want to talk for a while about the rise of Judah because he is a very important character. He's, and it's important that we cover this because something we've been doing as we've been going through the Book of Genesis is we've been following the line of jesus christ specifically and we've been showing how you know the book of genesis ultimately is showing us how israel came to be and really most of the old testament is just us watching israel because ultimately you know the bible and the old testament it's not about israel but it's about the messiah that is going to come from israel so it makes the bible spends a lot of time focusing on the people that Jesus Christ is going to come from. Because it's very important because in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. We see man condemned, but we also see the promise of the seed of a woman that's going to bruise the head of Satan. It's a promise of the Messiah. We see in chapter 4, we, the, Cain, the story of Cain and Abel. We see how God had respect to Cain, to, or to Abel in his offering, and not unto Cain. God chose Abel. Just like God chose Jesus Christ, but the Jews didn't like it, and they killed Jesus. And Cain didn't like it when God favored Abel over him. And so what does he do? He kills Abel. And then we see Seth is born. Eve said, God appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And it was during his line, during the days of Enos, the next one that's in the line of Christ, when men began to call him the Lord. We don't see any special attention paid to any except for Enoch. It's mentioned that he walked with God. But then the whole world gets bad. All there is is Noah. After Noah, we see the Bible doesn't tell us much about Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But basically what we see is the whole world you know, go bad at the Tower of Babel. But then we see the rise of Abraham. And then we've got Isaac and Jacob. And the next one in that line of Christ is Judah. And then think about this. Because we're going we're gonna to look here in a little bit at a prophecy about Judah showing the Messiah was going to come from him. Well, after they go into Egypt, it's 400 years before we really see anything happen. Uh, we, or we go over 400 years of really nothing happening with Judah just because of the fact that he can't really lead. They're in captivity. Nobody in that line really leads. There's no uh, real important characters that we see Until, uh, we see the story where Israel decides we want a king. And what did they do? They chose Saul. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit on this. Let's go ahead and look at a few things before we kind of get into some of that stuff to see kind of the rise of the tribe of Judah that we see during David's day. But let's look at a few interesting facts though about the man Judah. So first off, this is, he, he was the one who had the bright idea of selling Joseph which is interesting because remember it was Reuben that actually said you know hey let's you know hide him in a pit and they were going to sell him because Judah wanted to let him escape or not Judah uh, Reuben wanted to let him escape but then Judah got the idea of selling him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites well does anybody remember somebody else named Judah that sold somebody for silver man named Judas that's the greek version of of judah chances are judas was probably from the tribe of judah i mean because just because of the fact that was his name a lot of times they had names like in their tribe i don't know that you know bible does us for sure but i think it's a pretty safe bet but isn't it interesting that it was judah that got the bright idea of that and then one of his ancestors you know almost two thousand years later gets the same idea selling jesus I think that's kind of a, just an interesting thing right there because it was in verse 26 of chapter 37, and Judas said to his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? You know, we know Judas was motivated by the money. It says, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh and his brethren were content. So um, I think that's interesting. But another interesting thing about Judah And and the Bible's not super clear on this. We don't see this stated anywhere in the Book of Genesis for sure. I think we, uh, I think I think it's safe to assume this happened though. But it would appear that Judah was chosen to be the leader of the brethren by Israel or by Jacob. It would appear that way because, for example, remember Judah was number four. We had Reuben who defiled. You know, uh, Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. We have Levi and Simeon who went and uh, cruelly destroyed that city. And so Judah, he made, you know, what he did with Tamar was bad, but that wasn't necessarily against Jacob. So uh, Jacob, I believe, made Judah kind of the leader of his brethren and the leader, you could say, of their nation. Because remember, this is more than just 12 guys. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of people at this point, not so much from their direct descendants because there were 70 that went to Egypt. But remember, they've got servants too, all that are considered Israel because they've all been circumcised too. So that's another thing too. Uh, well, I, I don't want to get into that. I might get into that in one of the other weeks because uh, people get a little confused in the mass sometimes. How did they go from 70 to over 2 million in that time? Well, it was actually more than 70 because – they have all their servants and the people, and, you know, I don't know how many there were there, but uh, I might cover that in a later week. But anyway, uh, so in, verse, in chapter 49, verse 8, when Jacob's blessing his sons and he gets to Judah, you know, he said some bad things about Reuben and Simeon and Levi. We'll get to that in a later week. But then when he gets to Judah, he said, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise Thy hand shall be on the neck of thine enemies, thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couches a lion as an old lion, who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And most would believe that that Shiloh there, it is a messianic prophecy. It says the scepter shall not depart. So was, I, I believe this is showing that Jacob wanted Judah to be the leader, and chances are he probably already was leading because we do see him taking the lead with his brothers. We see in chapter 46, verse 28, it says, and he sent Judah before him unto Joseph. This is Jacob did this whenever they were traveling back to Egypt so Jacob could go see him. Jacob sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. So uh, whenever, we, whenever Jacob told them to go to Egypt, it was Judah during most of the talking. So it appears that Jacob made him the leader. And so we just don't really see him leading, though, because, again, they ended up in Egypt. And they were there for a very long time. So when they come out of Egypt, uh, we don't really see a leading tribe, you could say, With the exception of maybe Levi, who were kind of the spiritual leaders. And it makes sense that God would choose them for that too, because of the fact that Moses was from the tribe of Levi, and you know, and Aaron, his brother, was the high priest. But when it came to, you know, that, you know, the military lead, or the, you know, the kingly lead, and things like that, it ended up going to Judah. It was just a long time before it happened. Because remember, they had judges for a while. That was what they did for a long time, but then Israel decided they wanted a king. They decided they wanted to be like all the other nations, and then when it came, and this is interesting too, I don't think stuff like this is a coincidence, but whenever it came time for um, Israel, when they decided they wanted a king, and God basically tells Samuel, all right, go ahead, give them what they want, they can have a king. Well, they ended up picking, they ended up choosing Saul, you know, who had the looks. He looked like a king. He was taller than everybody else. But Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, which was the smallest of all the tribes. It says in 1 Samuel 9, 21, and Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? So, um, you know, If they were going to pick the right king, they should have picked somebody from the tribe of Judah. I believe it's clear that that's where God wanted it to come from. Because, again, it's already clear that the Messiah is going to come from Judah based on Jacob's prophecy. And so after a 40-year trial run with the guy that they wanted, with the guy that the people of Israel had chosen, God decided, you know what, I'm going to put in the guy I wanted. I want. And who did he pick? He picked David, the son of Jesse, a man after his own heart, a man from the tribe of Judah. And so you could say, though, that David, he was the last specifically chosen one that, that is mentioned until Jesus Christ. Because again, you know, while there's a lot of people in the lineage, you know, there's not a whole lot of notable ones. You know, you have Seth, you have Enos, you have Enoch, you have Noah, you have Shem. But even, even Shem, there was no specific prophecy to him. But then really until Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. No more prophecies about anyone specific until we get to David. And then after we get to David, you know, that, the, that whole line of Judah we have after that, there's really no Messianic prophecies given there either because when we go through you know, the books of uh, first and second kings and first and second chronicles, it focuses on Solomon's line, which is not where the Messiah came from biologically, just legally. That's Joseph's line. When you look at um, the biological line that's in Luke, it goes from David to Nathan. And then everybody that you read about in that line, we don't know who those people are. So you could say that David was kind of that last you know specifically chosen one until Jesus Christ finally came came along so i said all that stuff is important that we understand that and we that we pay attention to this line too because this is this is you know helps us understand why a lot of detail is given to specific things in the bible because ultimately the old testament it's not about the jews it's about jesus we need to stop letting the Jews steal Jesus' thunder. Oh, you know, they're God's chosen people. Yes, they were the God's chosen people that He was that the Messiah was going to come from. But guess what? The Messiah came, so now they're old news. You know, who cares about them anymore? Hey, the Messiah already came. I'm interested in all those who now come from the Messiah. All those who come from the Messiah, all those who are in Christ, they're the ones that I'm interested in right now and you know we can look back and we can look at guys like judah and david and people like that and you know thank god for them they're interesting but at the end of the day you know jesus christ yeah he did come from them he was born of mary but he had to be the son of god because there was not nothing good coming out of the tribe of israel nothing good jesus is the only good thing he's the only one that was good that ever came out of there There is none righteous, no, not one. That's not just from Romans. That's a quote from the book of Psalms. It was always like that. And so it's 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 pretty frustrating when people still want to make a big, you know, bigger deal about the Jews than they do about Jesus Christ. They want to make the Old Testament all about the Jews instead of Jesus Christ. No, we see the focal point on these people because we're watching for the Messiah. There was a promise in Genesis chapter 3 about a Messiah that was going to come. And so That's what we're looking at. That's what we're focusing on. That's what we're zeroing in on this. And so because of that, you know, I'm paying attention to Judah. You know, I'm interested in him, not because Judah is great, not because the tribe of Judah is so great, but because the Messiah was going to come from the tribe of Judah. So that makes him, that makes him interesting to me. So just quickly, though, some lessons that we can learn from Judah's life, because um, we do see a different guy at the end of the book of Genesis we do, that we see earlier that's going and, uh, I mean, getting with a prostitute and then being all self-righteous and indignant. And when he finds out his daughter-in-law is with child by, by whoredom, he decides he's going to kill her until he finds out, oh, I'm the father. I mean, just the the hypocrisy of that is absolutely mind-boggling. That he would do I mean this is the guy who sold his brother. it was his idea to do that yeah it was better than killing him but it was still really bad that, that, and, but then here's a guy we see later years later we see him leading his brothers and we see him sticking up for his younger brother who is now his father's favorite and being willing to lay down his life for his brother and and, and loyalty to his father I do I think it's clear, That the main motivation for Judah, it wasn't just love for Benjamin, but it was his love for his father. It was the fact that he had integrity. He's like, I guaranteed my father that I would bring him back. I used my life as a guarantee, therefore take me as a servant. I think that shows definitely a change in character. Because, I mean, if Judah was that big of a coward, all he would have had to do is say, you know what? Dad's already pretty much made me the leader. They take Benjamin you know, I go back home. Okay, dad dies. I'll be, I'll miss him and everything. But then I'm the leader. You know, he could have done that, but no, he he wasn't like that. And so one thing lesson we can learn from this is that you know what, past mistakes don't always have to determine your future. Thank thank God for that. Thank God for the stories in the Bible of redemption. Thank God for stories about guys like Saul of Tarsus. Who became Paul. Whenever we think about Paul, we don't think about the persecutor of Christians. We don't think about that. We don't think about that guy who was before a blasphemer. We think about the guy who wrote much of our New Testament. I mean, we think about a guy who did all these wonderful works for the Lord, who preached the gospel to thousands of people, saw probably more people saved than anyone else ever has. A guy who went to prison over and over again, who was beaten, who did one great thing after another, who did miracles for the cause of Christ that's the guy that we think about. And, man, well, you know, we, we thank God for these inspirational stories like that because, you know, there's a, a lot of people that make, they've made a lot of mistakes. And they often think they can never overcome these things. But the truth is, you can overcome these things. You can get past that. Yeah, you can't, necessarily, you can't take away what you did in the past, but you can still go on and do great things and be used of God. And even though Judah did some bad things, you know, we do see God still used him. God chose him to be the one that the Messiah would come through. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence some of the people that God used, you know, that the Messiah would come from. Because, you know, it, on one hand you would think, well, you know what, God would have always chose the holiest and the most righteous. But maybe not if he's wanting to send a message that, you know what, you can find redemption in Jesus Christ. You know, you can find salvation no matter where you're from because we see Tamar, who was a Gentile, who was someone who, I mean, committed whoredom with her father-in-law. She was the one Messiah came through her life. We see the Messiah came through women like Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth, what, uh, her child, uh, or Boaz, the one that she married, was I mean they're in the line of Christ she's specifically mentioned in the book of Matthew we see women like Bathsheba we all know what Bathsheba did she gave birth to Solomon from the uh you know the royal line and Nathan she was also the mother of Nathan the biological line of Jesus Christ so listen these things are in the bible by accident those things i think they're mentioned for a reason because there's redemption, thank God, past mistakes don't always have to determine your future. You can still do great things for God. You can get past those things. We see Judah, he embraced the responsibilities of leadership when it came to him. Even though he had done some bad things, even though he had failed, you know, as, as a father and as a father-in-law, we see that he was supposed to give his son uh, Sheila to Tamar, and he didn't do it, and that's kind of what motivated her to do. The thing that she had done. But you know, Judah, you know, he's number four. He wasn't the one that was supposed to be the leader. It was supposed to be Reuben. But Reuben messed up. It was supposed to be Simeon and leave after that. But they messed up. Judah ends up having it thrust on him. And Judah embraced it. Did you know some people, that's when they actually change their life and get better and mature. When, you know, the responsibility is thrust on them. Now, listen, I don't recommend being irresponsible until you have to become responsible. But did you know, you know, often with good people, you know, things like marriage changes them rapidly. You know, now, listen, it doesn't happen with everybody, okay? You know, any young ladies, if there's a guy out there, he's a punk and he's irresponsible, don't necessarily just think that, well, he's going to get married, he's going to come mature real fast. Well, it doesn't always happen. There's a lot of loser video gamer guys that are married and have kids. But, at the same time, you know, most good people, when it does get thrust upon them, they do embrace the responsibility and do the right thing. All of a sudden, you find these guys out. We're gonna have known guys like that, that, you know, they weren't, they weren't just your mo- most motivated types, you know, but then also they got married and had kids and it's like something, you know, just they, all of a sudden something snapped them, was like, you know what? I better be responsible. I better go work a job. And that's why too, I know they're not supposed to discriminate in this country, but often you have better op- job opportunities when, you know, you're married and have kids just because they assume you're going to be more responsible. And, and it's, it's not, a, it's not a guarantee, but that's just what people think. Cause genuinely speaking or generally speaking, that's what happens. And so But Judah did do that. Judah, I think that responsibility got thrown on him and matured him up. All of a sudden, he started taking things a little more serious. And that's the way that we ought to be. When you find yourself in that situation, you know, where responsibility has been given to you, hopefully you take it serious. Hopefully you don't freak out and you just you do the right thing. Judah did that. We see Judah's success that came later ended up being a great benefit to the next generations because think about this okay reuben simeon and levi they messed up but judah because he didn't mess up super bad even though he made some pretty big mistakes because he didn't mess up so bad like his older brothers he was the one who was chosen to be the leader now that worked out pretty good for the guys that are becoming kings later didn't it i mean i mean think about that because of the fact that he was chosen god decided to use him you know that benefited you know those descendants later like david and Solomon and all those that got to be king and you know we need to understand that what we do and how we live how we operate a lot of these things they affect the next generation and we ought to want to set up our next generations for success even if we mess up some stuff for us that might you know, you know, st- uh, stop a lot of our potential. Okay. It doesn't mean we can't still do our best and set things up for the next generation. For example, David, you know, fortunately he did do some good things. In fact, the reason God kept that line, the kingly line in that line of David was because David was obedient to God for the most part. And so God established a covenant with David, keeping you know, that kingly line there uh, in, in his family line, unlike the northern kingdom where it was jumping from family to family all the time. So God, God did that with David. But David, though, he didn't reach his full potential because of the fact that he was such a bloody man. All the people he killed, God wouldn't let him build the house of the Lord. But if you remember, and I preached about this a long time ago, uh, David, even though he couldn't build the house of the Lord, you know what he said? He's like, well, you know what? I can set things up for my son. And you know what he did? He went and he gathered all the materials, everything that could possibly be needed to help build that temple, to make it as easy as possible. David got it all ready. So as soon as David died, Solomon was able to get right to work on that. And you know what we still talk about to this day? Solomon's temple. Isn't that what everybody calls it? Solomon's temple. But you know what? It was David that got all the materials for it. It was David that prepared everything for it all Solomon had to do was just well we got everything all right, go ahead and build it and he gets all the credit for it think about that you know that and that's what we need to think about as parents that you know even if we've messed some things up like Judah did we've made some big mistakes we can still set our children up for success and Judah ended up doing that and thank God for it so at the end of the day you know when I when I'm looking at you know and when I'm following this line that's of people that are in the line of Christ. And I, I do, I pay extra attention. I know who all of them are. You know, even guys like Zerubbabel that we read about in, uh, in Ezra and Nehemiah. um you know, he was, he was in that line of Christ. You know, he was a descendant of David. I'm pay, I always pay extra attention to these guys. And you know, one question I've always had that I can't answer. And that is what made God choose all the people that he chose? you know what? I don't know. You know, it's not a super godly line that we're looking at. There's a lot of pretty messed up things in there. But you. many people had major issues. But you know what? God used them anyway because at the end of the day, God can use flawed people. God can use very flawed people. And there is no doubt, Jacob was very flawed. All the children of Israel, of the, tw- of the, the specific 12, were very flawed individuals and judah was no exception yet look at how god used them because you know what god using flawed people glorifies god doesn't it and you know that that's all there is to it god wants to use people that are going to glorify his name that are going to bring glory to him and so god uses people that a lot of times, you know, they don't have the pedigrees. They, you know, they've got bad pasts. They've made some big mistakes. But then it's like, you know what? If God just always, you know, if, if God's always using people that are from, you know, the rich or using people that are from the good families, that, you know, and I thank God for preachers that are out there that are like from long lines of preachers. You know, I think God. I think that's a great testimony. I think that's a wonderful thing. But at some point. You know, it gets to the point, if you're like a seventh, if I, if I was like, and I'm, a, I'm only a second generation, but if I was like a 17th generation Baptist preacher, as some pretty soon people are going to start thinking, you know, those McMurtrys, they're really something. But you know, and, and pretty soon, I'm going to start stealing the glory from God. But when he uses people that don't have a last name, that's, you know, maybe from a long line of drunkards, then all of a sudden... People see that person being used of God. Guess who gets the glory in that situation? God gets the glory in that situation. So I say all that to say, listen, don't give up. Never never give up on yourself. If you're still going, we would all say God's done with Judah after what Judah did. That was a horrible story with what happened with Tamar. God's done with him. No, God wasn't done with Judah God was still able to use him. And, God, and not just, you know, while we don't see anything spectacular with Judah, we see spectacular things through his line. And you know what? Maybe you messed up really bad and nothing spectacular will ever happen in your life, but doesn't mean God won't do something spectacular with your descendants. And that should be the goal of every father. We should all want better for the next generation. And so what I believe we are seeing in that chapter here is we're kind of seeing the rise of Judah. We're seeing him get some things right, changing some things, taking some leadership, showing some uh, responsibility and maturity, showing some character. And as a result of that, God began to exalt that tribe. And eventually, that's where the kings came from. And ultimately, that's where the Messiah came from. So anyway, with that, let's go ahead and close the word of prayers. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope uh, that we get from these stories. Lord, it is a blessing to know that uh, you can use any of us, dear God, and that you, that you want to use all of us. And so I pray you'll help us not to give up on ourselves. I pray you'll help us to uh, just uh, forget those things that are behind us and just help us to move forward and keep our focus on you. And uh, so we can, uh, you'll get the glory for everything that's accomplished. In your name we pray. Amen.